1: Blue wire. The Denver Nuggets select
2: Michael Porter Jr. But I'm gonna make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Forrest inside. Jokic,
1: put it away. Jokic, 23, in. Jokic, Jokic oh, away. Jokic puts it away with a thunderous dunk. Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. As always, I am your host, TJ McBride, and this is going to be a fun podcast because it's not just me once again. I actually went on the... Um, the Pistons vs. Everybody podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network as well, with Lazarus Jackson. Talk about Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley heading to the Pistons, different nuggets, nuggets acquisitions, and to be frank, quite a bit of slander from me towards the Pistons. Um, it was a ton of fun to podcast with Lazarus. He's a great dude. Follow him at Laz Chance on Twitter. Make sure you go subscribe to the Pistons vs. Everybody podcast. Um, great work all around for them. So, Please go check them out, and I hope you guys enjoy this show as much as I had fun recording it. I mean, it was one of those kinds of, like, just chop it up with hoops people and have a damn good time doing it type of podcast. And I hope you guys enjoy it the same way I did because, frankly, that's why I'm putting it on my show is that it was just a deeply enjoyable podcast with a whole lot of either um some homage towards Mason Plumley, some confusion about Jeremy Grant, some excitement about Facundo Campazzo, and again, a whole lot of Detroit Pistons slander. Um, we're going to take our first break here coming up to talk to you about bet online. then you're going to hear my conversation with Laz, and then you're going to hear about Indeed after that. So you're going to have some ad reads coming up. Also, make sure you go subscribe to the Freddie Adu podcast, the documentary about Freddie Adu called American Prodigy. It's put on by the Blue podcast network it is an amazing show an amazing story so make sure you go check that out as well so again thank you to indeed thank you to bet online for keeping this show going and making blue wire podcast what it is and supporting this company for as long as they have and please make sure you go check out the Freddie adu uh, documentary american prodigy and go subscribe to pistons versus everybody part of the blue wire podcast network as well so we're gonna take our first quick break and then on the other end after you hear about indeed you're going to hear a conversation that Lazarus Jackson and I had about the Detroit Pistons and the Denver Nuggets.
0: Hello, everyone.
2: Welcome to Pistons versus Everybody, the Blue Wire uh, podcast for the Detroit Pistons. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and joining me tonight is TJ McBride, the host of Rocky Mountain Hoops and a fellow Blue Wire bro. What's up, TJ?
0: Man, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm happy to be able to step back and get some sleep for once and kind of come back, recharge, and ready to talk about this because, man, there was a lot of player movement. I didn't know who played for who there for a while, so I'm happy that I can at least understand the league again for a second.
2: Yeah, and it's like the the worst part is is like training camp is like what like two weeks from now. Like no, next no, no, no,
0: training camp is seven days from now. It's like <laughs> I am not ready for this, and like they're gonna do it all digital or virtual or whatever the dang word is at this point. But yeah, it's literally a week away, which means we're like two and a half weeks away from preseason games, and we're a month away from the season
1: starting
2: it's so nuts to me like college basketball was on i was watching
0: kentucky before this man like
2: yeah it was like i have it on in the background and like it's nice to have basketball on in the background but then you like look and you're like wait like
0: (laughs) this isn't like we're not watching like nba like i always watch nba tv like reruns of games when i get endlessly bored and it felt like that watching kentucky today it just didn't feel like the game was actually live
2: (laughs) exactly Oh man. All right. But let, I wanted to bring you on because you cover the Denver Nuggets, the Detroit Pistons pilfered a pair of Denver Nuggets. And so I want to ask you about those guys uh, before I went on a diatribe about how much they cost. Uh, yes. 225 of Jeremy Grant's 303 made field goals last year were assisted. Yes. Is there like some more shot creation like in there that we never got to see? Or do you think he's just going to be as dependent on Blake Griffin and Killian Hayes? As he was on Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray.
0: It's so funny for me because the first question on Media Day last year, when Jeremy Grant came to Denver, was how excited are you to finally expand your offensive game? Because I'm (laughs) one of the people who like fully believes that he actually does have some extra skills there that haven't been able to come out because he's always been the third or fourth option. I don't think he has the level of skill that you turn down the same money from a Western Conference finals team that has Nikola Jokic on. On it to go play for Detroit and the other eight bigs they have on the roster. So while yes, there are skills to be found. I want to make that clear. He is a better ha- ball handler than people expect. He's a better finisher than people expect. He was hitting pull-up jumpers in the mid-range and finding like little bits of vision where he was able to create for others. Like there are flashes of this. They exist. Do they exist enough for him to start at small forward next to Blake Griffin next year with no shooting around him? No, that's not where we're at. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. He's an incredibly incredibly helpful player and if denver would have paid him the same contract that detroit had like i reported that they got turned down on i would have been fine with it because he is so unique a guy who can defend five positions is that athletic that big and shoots 40 percent from three about that's huge you don't find those guys so i get it on paper it makes no sense in detroit for me
2: i don't initially disagree my uh, my analysis was always like jeremy grant makes a lot more sense when Blake Griffin is gone, and we expect Blake Griffin to be gone sooner rather than later. And so, like, to me, this is a move that, like, looks like Uh, for something that's going to happen in February or March or whenever the trade deadline is for the season that starts in
0: December. So let me ask you this, because one of my closest friends actually lives in Detroit and is a lifelong Pistons fan, so I have him in my ear all of the time for the past two years now of when is Blake going to get traded. So I ask you this now, what level of faith do you suddenly have? What what has changed other than the roster, which, to be fair, has changed three times that we have talked about these Blake Griffin trade rumors, (laughs) to where we actually think a trade is going to happen. That's my biggest issue with this, is clearly there's not a market to trade Blake Griffin right now. And I'm not exactly sure what you're going to do to be able to create a market when everybody knows you have to get off of him and you have no leverage. So that's a tough thing for me. I don't know what they're going to be able to do with Blake Griffin unless he becomes all-star Blake Griffin for literally the first half of the season off cold and finds a way to raise his value to that level. I just don't know how that's going to happen.
2: I th- the thing I think the Pistons are banking on is that every time Blake Griffin has had adequate time, like more than an offseason to recover from an injury, he's come back stronger. That's fair. And so uh, I think with age, maybe stronger is a bit much to uh, request or ask for. But if you return to the level of 2018-19 Blake, for the first 25 games of the year, there will be a team that's interested in that uh, you might not get back a like huge return because of the, because of the injury potential, because, as you put it, like everyone in the, in the league knows you need to get off of Blake Griffin. But I do think there's like a universe in which he gets traded. Um, you know, Oklahoma City can facilitate something as they always have.
0: That's the interesting part I was going to ask you, though, because you have to find a way to make him a neutral asset. You do not want to trade future first round picks to get off of a guy when you're currently rebuilding and needing to stockpile picks. So, like, that's the level that has to be eclipsed. And... OKC isn't going to trade for him in that regard unless things go terribly wrong in Atlanta I don't see them making a move like this even though I do think that things could go wrong in Atlanta and that would be a very interesting landing spot for him but th- there's not a, I, I don't know how many teams are out there that really need that role and I'm very I, I hope he gets traded somewhere because I would be very happy to see Blake try and reinvent himself especially on a team that is actually you know has the floor space and multiple shooters and veterans who are actually trying to win right now I would be very good be good to see that but i just i i I don't know if it's going to get there i want to have faith but i just don't really right now
2: yeah i think and like you definitely can't do it this off season you definitely can't do it now when no one has seen him play in a year and we don't know what he's going to look like and you know the the plan is dependent on him looking like a guy worth trading for if he comes back and he kind of looks shot then like yeah you're kind of stuck holding on to him for the next 2 years and you'll you'll work something out you play him 50 games a year to hopefully like uh, get his body back to a certain place but yeah like that that's the that's the goal i guess that's the expectation that i have and he's not i don't think he's unhappy but this is not what he was traded here for right he was traded here to help drag the pistons into the lower like third of the playoff picture in the Eastern conference. And he can't even do that anymore because the team around him is so poor. And so I, I imagine this is pretty frustrating for him as well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know, he's not necessarily like requesting a trade, but I'm sure he's like amenable to it. Right. He's amenable to, Uh, helping facilitate something around like other destinations in the league.
0: That would make a lot of sense because I'm sure he would want that himself. And I'm curious, like, is Jeremy Grant going to be playing small forward? Is that the kind of general idea that's been tossed around amongst Pistons people?
2: I think so. And in limited lineups, but like, you know, at that, at least a small forward, his lack of rebounding isn't like a majority weakness, right?
0: That's a big deal because he can't rebound. That's a very, very big part of his
2: game. What I went to ask you about that actually is that like a schematic thing? Was that like he was like is leaking on like fast breaks because he did so much damage in transition, or is that just like he doesn't
0: rebound? It's a mix. He also can't rebound, but at the same time, Denver was asking him to defend on the perimeter so much he wasn't in rebounding position. So it was kind of both. But I also have never seen him become like an actual viable uh, go get eight rebounds kind of guy. Like that just never materialized, and even in Denver. People want to look at what he did in the playoffs when he started at small forward, but he was coming off the bench for them for the majority of the season, and that was really where you would think he would be able to rebound because he's playing an actual power forward role and he's not needed to defend these jumbo superstar wings because you're coming off the bench. And he still was not a rebounder, and that's always going to be concerning for me for him.
2: Hmm. Okay. I guess the other the other major concern I had with Jeremy Grant was like the on off numbers. Yeah. The on off numbers are not good. The Nuggets were uh minus 2.1 in net rating with him on the court and plus seven with him off the court. And it's like his replacement for the most part was 35 year old Paul Millsap. So it's like, was Paul Millsap really better than Jeremy Grant last
0: year? There's a lot of noise in those statistics, because this is the big thing. When you look at the Nuggets season, Jeremy Grant came off the bench when the bench was absolutely horrific because they were playing way too big, and the Nuggets starting group was the second best five-man unit in basketball, and that wasn't necessarily because of Paul Millsap, and the bench wasn't bad because of Jeremy Grant. So those numbers have a lot of noise behind them. But that being said, if you called up one of the Nuggets guys in the front office right now, somebody in there analytics department, they would be yelling about the fact that Jeremy Grant's statistics, statistics, regardless of role, regardless of circumstance, have not portrayed a winning player. So there is some hope that maybe that that statistical analysis comes true, and they don't look like they just got absolutely destroyed defensively by losing him. They're really, really hoping that that's the case. Nobody believes that's the case, though. So yeah. I think there's a lot of noise there. There is a lot, of, there's a lot to be said that he doesn't necessarily equate to as much winning basketball as it seems when he's defending a guy like Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs, but at the same time, he helps you, and he is helping you win, and the Nuggets floor defensively, especially in the playoffs, has basically bottomed out without him. So that, that's a kind of how I'm framing it and how indicative of how helpful he actually is.
2: Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. Cause I was wondering like what the, what the replacement plan in place was for Jeremy Grant, because when you, when you look at a front office, that's like, Hey, like, yes, we were also willing to overpay you drastically for a winning situation. And you still don't resign like that to me smacks of not, uh, not like desperation, but like, we, we like, we literally have no mechanism to replace the, the things that he gave us. And so how, how are they attempting to replace what Jeremy Grant offered?
0: I think I said this on one of my podcasts, but one of the people in the Nuggets organization that I was talking to, when I asked him about the pivot and the recovery they made, bringing in Jermichael Green, re-signing Paul Millsap, signing Isaiah Hartenstein, who a lot of people are really actually high on, but it was still described to me as a bandit on a bullet hole. And that just is the reality of it, because they didn't have a lot of cap space. They had both of their exceptions, and you can bring guys in on minimum deals, but they were over the cap. So Denver didn't have any mechanisms of bringing in a player of his caliber. There just wasn't any opportunity, and it was so far into the off season, which sounds weird because it was four days in the off season, <laughs> right. but everybody Six had hours ago. Yeah. yeah. So like, it sounds weird, but. Th- everything had been accomplished. Kelly Oubre had already been traded. Robert Covington had already been traded. These guys that you could have gone out and tried to get at that moment had already been taken because you were already invested in bringing back Jeremy Grant and you were already invested in trying to trade for Drew Holiday that suddenly there wasn't any opportunity to go find a player even near the caliber or of the same archetype of a Jeremy Grant. So Denver had to immediately pick up the pieces. Jermichael Green on the mid-level, Paul Millsap on a one-year t- uh, one-year ten $10 dollar deal with incentives, Vacundo Compasso on the biannual exception, and then Isaiah Hartenstein on a minimum, which, and then Bol Bol also got converted using part of the mid-level, but that's their only plan right now, because there wasn't anything else they could have done. That's the thing that's so frustrating when I keep looking at this, and trying to find different avenues Denver could have taken, and trying to find maybe any little advantage that they potentially missed. There aren't any. There was nowhere Denver could have gone at that point. They did the best they could with what they had, and it's significantly worse than what they were. And that is the reality that they are stuck with. They took a step back. And there's a real question if they are in the same tier as the Phoenix Suns, as the Portland Trailblazers, as the Utah Jazz now entering next season.
2: Man, I had completely forgotten about the Drew Holiday uh, bonanza that, had, that happened and yeah. occurred before the draft. That Denver would have been a really done. great move for I They them, were
0: stunned guess. at the price. When I first hit them up to try and figure out what had happened after I saw the Bucks had gotten them, they were like, I asked how close they were. And what, what I got back was what well, we heard from Milwaukee just offered them. We weren't even in the ballpark because Milwaukee just came in and just dropped everything they owned on the table. And it just ended conversations with every other team that we were trying to get Drew. And that was just one of those things that happened in a chaotic offseason. And that was definitely something that hurt Denver from being able to pursue other trade targets
2: oh man i'm gonna have to ask ty about that <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah man that was i i cannot wait until somebody tells the story from drew's side and from his agent's side of all of the different offers that were flying in to new orleans to figure out how to get a hold of him because from what jake fisher wrote for bleacher report today you had gordon hayward and three first round picks from boston like the sweepstakes was crazy to get drew Oof.
2: Three first things. I didn't, I missed that report.
0: Yeah, from, he wrote a story Jay. today about how the Bogdanovich deal fell apart and he kind of outlined a little bit of stuff from the Drew Holiday part of it too.
2: Ooh, man. Yeah, I, that is definitely uh, a move that you make that you're not going to see the repercussions of if it doesn't work because you're getting fired.
0: Yeah, my favorite thing are when GMs and presidents trade picks that go beyond their contract because it's like free money. It's like <laughs> it's like in Wolf of Wall Street when he's throwing hundred dollar bills and calling them fun coupons. Like that's what GMs are like when it comes to trading picks that are not going to be there after the life of their contract.
2: See, and I can't even I can't even talk too much because the Pistons traded four second round picks <laughs> yeah. and Luke Kennard. For one first round pick,
0: and I love Luke Kennard. I don't understand that. Like I understand he has a payday coming, but that's a good player. Like you might as well just have him here and try and move him at the deadline.
2: He does not fit what they want to restructure the team into and as you saw the team is very much restructured into something yeah. else
0: and you want to know the one thing they could really use is some playmaking some operation. shooting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. so you know maybe i don't know what i'm talking about in this term because i am not able to run an nba team and i should not be given the reins of an nba team like i'm not going to sit here and pretend that i'm troy weaver but something's fishy and something is weird there
2: no, you could tell that the that they hadn't not necessarily that they hadn't thought all the way through, but that the coaching staff kind of looked up at the roster and was like, huh, this isn't going to co- quite going to work. Let's bring in Wayne Ellington on a vet minimum because we need somebody who can shoot. And he we coached him before he was a good locker room guy like that's fine. That'll work. And they're not wrong, right? Like I expect Ellington to like provide a valuable element for this team, but it's kind of an indictment that like four days into a free agency, you're like, oh, crap. We have like one dude is a group who's a good three-point shooter. Maybe that won't help facilitate the development of our 19-year-old point guard.
0: The one thing that I cannot stop thinking about is being Isaiah Stewart right now. The high of getting drafted and being like, I'm going to a team who is gonna be able to need a big and a guy who can play small ball five and then just slowly watching what has happened to this roster over the week like i that's the part that is just debilitating it's like that guy had minutes coming in he was going to play a role and he was an <laughs> nba ready big and it just there's there's no role he's going to be in the g league all year it looks like
2: oh um, actually let's talk about isaiah stewart's mentor mason plumley yes yes Oh, so, Okay. So when I first reached out to you to come on this podcast and talk about the Denver Nuggets and talk about Mason Plumley, you described him as a coach's dream. Yeah. So what is it that makes Mason Plumley a coach's dream?
0: So the way I like to frame this is to go back to where he was before Denver. He was a starting center on a playoff team with Damian Millard and CJ McCollum. And he was the third best passing big in the NBA per hundred possessions. Like the dude was doing some very, very good stuff. He then gets trained. To Denver for the for Yusef Nurkic and all of that fiasco, and he finds himself behind Nikola Jokic. And at no point, not a single minute, did I ever see him upset or complain or be frustrated or lash out. Nothing, he accepted his role and did everything he could to help that team. There are players that. You talk about him like, oh, he's a good guy, you know, he's a professional, he's classy, he's this, he's that. There are such a small amount of players who actually live up to that kind of a compliment, in my opinion, who are truly the good guys in the NBA and who are truly selfless and are truly willing to do whatever it takes to help the next wave of NBA players who might take their minutes while also trying to do the best they can to help the team win. And Mason Plumley is that guy. He'll die for 50-50 balls. He will play the four alongside Nikola Jokic if you want, or Blake Griffin, or Isaiah Stewart or Jeremy Grant or any of the other bigs that exist in Detroit. And he will do it with a smile on his face. He will defend any position you ask him to. Denver was switching him on the guards on the perimeter because they had no defenders off the bench. And he was like, yep, all right, I can guard. I I can switch out on the guards. I'll find a way to contain. And just a smile on his face the whole way through. He just works and he does whatever it takes to be able to help. And in my opinion, while the contract is funny on the surface, if you remove everything else that happened on Detroit, offseason, and you just talk about bringing in a veteran big to help the guards that you are now have on the roster who are younger. Mason Plumlee is perfect for that. Monte Morris's progression as a player was helped so much by the fact that Mason Plumlee was on the Denver Nuggets. He will cover up for your defensive mistakes. He will be your rim roller for you. He will set hard and strong screens. Those kind of things for a young, developing, rebuilding, retooling team like Detroit are incredibly helpful things to have on the roster it's not a veteran who's going to complain about losing because the young guys are playing and growing he knows what that is like he understands it and he's willing to buy into it so for me and my money mason plumlee is one of the best bigs you can get to fit that role
2: i'm sold
0: I'm telling you, people wanted to make fun of this contract from the second it happened. And I was like, you know what? You want to give a little more than the mid-level to Mason Plumlee? Go at it. I don't even care. Like, congratulations to Mason for getting paid. Mark Bartlstein's stays is getting white centers 20% more money than they deserve. And it's absolutely incredible. And at the same time, Mason Plumlee is one of those good guys who deserves the money he gets because of the other things he brings to the table. So if I'm Troy Weaver, that's a win. It's just everything else that makes me completely confused.
2: Yeah. No, I mean— my thing was the Plumlee deal at six thirty on day one. Yeah. Like that, then that, that's confusing. But as the market kind of settles, you look around. It's like okay, Detroit's a really bad team. You're not going to get Serge Ibaka at nineteen million, right? You're yeah. not going to get Marc Gasol at the veterans minimum. You're not going to get Aaron Baines at whatever he got, like fourteen
0: level, or he get the fourteen, something like that. I can't keep up. So you could say any number, and I probably believe it at this point. So. It's,
2: it's like it's like I I heard that they didn't want Harry Giles. Um, that's crazy. So to
0: me. Oh, you get yeah. every big in the world, and you don't want the one who can actually do more things than just screen and roll. Like
2: they, but they, but you know, you look at who they drafted, you look at who else they brought in, right? Yeah. They drafting Stewart, bringing in Jaleel Okafor on a vet men. Like they really value all the things you just spoke about that Mason Plumlee has to offer, right? Yeah, they do and it sounds like uh, aside from the vertical uh, lob threat athleticism that he has it sounds like he's going to be an excellent mentor for Isaiah Stewart and according to the the rookie press conference that they had today like they really like Isaiah Stewart Isaiah Stewart really endeared himself to the fan base so who knows man like maybe Mason Plumley and Isaiah Stewart are the future front court in Detroit
0: I just just get ready for a lot of reverse layups and reverse dunks the dude for some reason cannot shoot while facing the rim so just (laughs) prepare yourself for that i don't know what else to add to this conversation other than just that but it's weird and you're gonna have to see a lot of it but i'm excited about isaiah stewart but mason plumbly is gonna give you some fluxing moments while you're waiting for the isaiah stewart minutes that is for so
2: So while Plumlee is coming off the bench and like still having this really high assist rate for a big man, how is that happening? Like, they're not using him in the same manner that you just joke it right like he's not like you know Coming holding the ball from the from the elbow and like directing cutters is no he?
0: he does sometimes and he can do that and he is smart enough to be able to facilitate that way and also something that'll terrify you and also make you excited is he loves to, to like grab rebounds and push like Uh-oh. he will play point center that will be a thing that happens from time to time and this is the thing like that for every one of his like oh, wow, he almost tripped over himself moments. There's like eight really, really good passes. So... I am actually okay with those moments. Like you got to live with some weirdness when you have a guy with, with the skill set like that. It's just always going to be on the table. But he is a good passer. He can hit cutters. He knows how to like play with the weak side help defender and create open passing lanes to open guys in the, either in the corner and the dunker spot or on the wing. Like he knows how to read a defense like that, and that will be helpful, especially for the younger guards who are still trying to figure out how to go about that process.
2: Man. I did not expect to be sold this hard on Mason Plumley on this podcast, but you like I I didn't tell TJ to say any of that, guys. Like he came up with that on his own, man.
0: I came in here with the intention of making it very clear that Mason Plumley is going to be more worthy of his contract than I think Jeremy Grant will in in, in year one of his. Um, I do think Jeremy can grow into it, maybe by the end of the contract. I don't know how long it'll take, but yeah. by the time this moment next season is here, we're gonna be looking. Looking back, like wow, what a help Mason Plumley was. But I really wonder what they're going to do with that Jeremy Grant contract.
2: Yeah, I think it's not that much, right? We we learned today that Danilo Gallinari, who signed for the same amount of time and a slightly more money, thinking got like sixty one to Grant sixty. We learned today that he's going to come off the bench yeah. in Atlanta, and so there is a market for elite level role players who are paid like elite level role players. I have no doubt. That, uh, you know, if the Pistons really needed to trade Jeremy Grant tomorrow, they absolutely could. By the sound of it, Denver would take him back tomorrow if you (laughs) offered them to him. I wonder.
0: That's a conversation I would love to be on the fly on the wall for. I would love to see that because the Nuggets were stunned. Like, don't get me wrong. They do never wish ill on any player who leaves Denver. That is absolutely not what I am saying. But there would be a little bit of laughter and smiles from Tim Connolly, I'm sure, if that phone call ever came (laughs) through. And I would be laughing myself as well, because everybody everybody. I said this on, on my last podcast. Even his own agent was like, you should probably go back to Denver, man. Like This might be a better <laughs> opportunity for you. But he really thinks that he can be like a Pascal Siakam type, I guess. So more power to him. I really hope it works. And there will be teams. James Edwards, who went on, like I believe it was the Daily Ding Pod or something like that. And he talked about that, how in the next three years of this contract, there are going to be contending teams who want exactly what his skill set is. Uh, yeah. it, it is tailored made to be a third or fourth option on a contending team so that is something that will always be on the table I think
2: yeah okay (laughs) so that thus ends the Detroit Pistons segment of this podcast and now I want to ask you a little bit about the Nuggets who are in a really fascinating position how did you feel after the draft like RJ Hampton was a guy a lot of Pistons fans had their eye on because the front office in Detroit did scout him pretty heavily and you know you could tell that there was uh some interest there, but he fell really far on draft night. It seemed like he was one of those guys who was kind of second or third on everybody's board until he hit uh denver at twenty three and then uh we also saw Zeke Naji get taken by the denver nuggets what are, what are, what do the nuggets expect to have in those guys
0: so I was okay I, i'm I'm a draft nerd like this is like, this is what I want to do with scout so like when it comes to like weirdly flawed but exciting players that is like way too much my wheelhouse so Zeke Naji was 100% right up my alley of players that I like and when you start looking at what he is able to do at the University of Arizona he was a great offensive rebounder rim roller creative finisher not an explosive leaper had some defensive flashes but no shot blocking very inconsistent three-point shooter, and not exactly sure where he fits. Then you talk to Tim Connolly, and I, and this kind of confirmed what I had hoped, which is Tim is saying he is already hitting NBA range threes at a consistent rate right now. On top of that, they fully believe that he can defend three positions. If that's the case, if this is a guy who can block shots, defend three positions, hit threes, and be a good finisher at the rim, or being a rim roller, like okay, that's a legitimately exciting player that fits really well alongside Nikola Jokic. So that, to me, is a great pick when you start to look at more of the finer details as to what is expected for his overall progression. Um, You know who that sounds like? Who? That sounds like Jeremy Grant. It sounds like a more... Yeah, it does. And it's funny, too, because he's a little bit less of a perimeter guy than Jeremy is. Like, Jeremy has to play on the perimeter. Like, he has that, like... I will never forget the the whole Nene thing in Denver where he thought he was a small forward and Denver wanted him to play power forward. And for two years they argued about it. And like Jeremy Grant is very much so in that vein. Zeke is like, nah, man, let's play some five. Like let's get down low and let's fight. And I like that. Like it's a very helpful thing to have on a team and a big man who can be a three and D big man. That's kind of how I'm viewing him. And not only that, He's like a legitimately professional pianist, so he's like a really smart, gifted individual that is very unique in this NBA landscape, which is kind of cool. And having that new flavor in a locker room is a helpful thing to have when you need some new life after having the same roster for so long.
2: Um, yeah, I did, I did see the 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 uh, the piece on him in the post about how he impressed the front office by playing the piano and i got to say like that that's 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 a neat party trick like that's it not is. bad
0: and could you imagine the confidence of like trying to um Appeal to a front office that you've never spoken to before in the most uncertain draft ever that has ever existed. And be like, let me play you a song real quick. Like, I just love that that <laughs> happened. You know what I mean? So that level of confidence, that level of self assurance that he knows who he is is what really helps him be um, an ideal pick for Denver because he fits the culture, he fits the work ethic, he fits Michael Malone's type of player, and he has an upside that makes him really exciting. But RJ Hampton. This is where you start looking at the Nuggets and you're like, could they have five borderline All-Stars in their starting lineup? Because everyone forgets that Bol Bol is about to make his first rookie appearance because what happened in the bubble does not count as a rookie appearance. So his rookie season is starting this season. This is the same rookie season as RJ Hampton. You have Michael Porter Jr. already just now ascending into the small forward role. And then Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray on their max deals. That's Insanity. Denver has a young core for their young core. Like, what is that? I don't know how a front office can be that good at talent evaluation, but here Denver is with legitimately five potential all-stars on their roster if everything breaks right. If you're Denver and you can't get a free agent to come and you can't keep Jeremy Grant even if you offer him the exact same contract and you went to the Western Conference Finals the year before, then this is what you gotta do. And I give them tons of respect for taking these swings because even if they miss, who cares? It was the 24th pick. You sent a 2023 first-rounder that lotto Watto-protected for three years if it doesn't convey. Like, whatever. So, That's encouraging. I love the swing. I love the opportunity. And if he can pan out the way people hope he can, as like a slashing, shot-making, hyper-athletic two-way guard, Denver's in the absolute money right there. And I cannot wait to see that team.
2: You think they put him on the MPJ plan where we don't see him for 18 months, and then when he he debuts, he's ready?
0: Well, see, I've been making fun of the Pistons, but the Nuggets have six guards on the roster, so like I actually shouldn't be making fun of the Pistons, because there's nowhere for him to play. Like You have Jamal Murray, you have Monte Morris, who should be backing him up. You have Gary Harris, and you have Will Barton. They just signed Facundo Composa, they signed PJ Dozier last year, they got Marcus Howard as a two-way contract guy, now they have RJ Hampton on the roster, so like... Where are they going to play them? That's my biggest thing right now um rj in his introductory press conference that happened yesterday morning he was very 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 well spoken about the fact that he's cool waiting he's cool not worrying about what is to come and his minutes and he just needs to grow so maybe that is actually true maybe he wasn't just coached up for an introductory press conference like literally every first round pick is nowadays but we'll have to just wait and see so i don't see any minutes for him this year maybe he finds some minutes at the three because denver is so short on the wing but we'll just have to wait and see i hope he if he earns minutes, that means something very right happened in my opinion.
2: Yeah. RJ really struck me during his pre-draft availability as a very mature individual. Like we always say that about the guys who travel overseas to, to not play at the college level and end up playing professionally early. But like he, he really seemed like it was like a legitimate good thing for him, uh, despite the injury that he encountered.
0: I mean, really so make that point, it's it's a phenomenal point because yeah, when guys go overseas, the world kind of punches you in the face. Like you're not coddled on a college campus where you're the man and everybody right. loves you and everybody knows that. That people
2: are trying to make a name off of you, right? Yeah. Like they know p- scouts are there to see you, so if I punk you, like that gets me paid.
0: Yes. So now, when you go to Australia and it's just some like twenty. 20- 28 year old dude who plays basketball for the love of it just absolutely demolishing you down low. There is a humbleness that you learn from that. It's why I'm such an advocate of going and finding guys like Tory Craig, like Greg Winnington, like all of these players that have gone over to Australia who are 27 years old, who fit a very particular role, who are ready to play, who are true professionals, and have frankly had their ass kicked a little bit to understand where they fit in the grand scheme of things.
2: Yeah. All right. So. Next up, the next guy I wanted to ask you about is Gary Harris. Because oh. my boy, I loved Gary so much in college, man. You have no idea. Gary meant so much to me in college. But he struggled the last couple of years. Just injuries have really sapped a lot of what made him special defensively. And so I, I wonder about the Nuggets like necessarily like looking at upgrading that spot. Obviously, we talked about Drew a little bit earlier in the podcast. Are they still comfortable with, with Gary as the starting uh, shooting guard?
0: They would be if he could play. That's really all this comes down to. Even if his shot isn't there, Denver would love to play Gary if he can play. He has had 13 lower body injuries in the past 25 months. Like, what are you supposed to do? And that's the thing that that Denver has had to deal with. Michael Malone, before the season ended, when they were still in the bubble, um, I actually asked him about Gary. and He straight out said, we are sticking with Gary. So long as Gary is able to play, we are sticking with Gary. How long does that last? I'm not sure because he cannot shoot right now. If you look at the pre-All-Star numbers last season, he was the least efficient starter in all of basketball on the offensive end of floor. It was him and Justice Winslow. That's it. Nobody was shooting under 40% from the field and under 30% from three while playing over 30 minutes a night other than those two players. So at some point, something has to give. I'm with you. I absolutely love Gary Harris' game. I loved him going back to Michigan State. I compared him to Bradley Beal, his rookie season, in terms of his optimal outcome as a player. I believe he's growing with the ball in his hands. I believe his intelligence as a player is going to continually translate as it already has. But if you can't play and you shots not falling, the majority of his skill set is gone. And that's the toughest thing that he has had to deal with now. And I don't know if he's going to be able to come back from it. At some point, you just have to look at the numbers for what they are. 13 lower body injuries in 25 months.
2: Yeah. I I wonder if there's a way to treat him as a neutral asset in trade, similar to the conversation we had about Blake a little bit earlier, right? Because he, he makes a good deal of money. And if you can ever get him healthy, right, there is an extremely useful player in there. And so I've even I've even considered like a a Blake for for Gary and some stuff like swap, like mentally, just because I think that, you know, that's a situation where maybe if you get uh, a guy like Gary healthy, you you know, you uh, in it, especially for a team like Detroit, where his contributions will not necessarily be needed for the next eight months after you make that trade. So he has time to rehab and recover and strengthen and and get to a place where he feels comfortable again. And then you get an an exciting role player out of that. Like, ah, man. But at the same time, like you said, you just, you just never know if that's going to be the case again with a guy who's had, 13. I didn't know it was 13. I knew it was a yeah, lot, I, I didn't know it was 13. I went back and counted
0: for a story about three months ago, and it about broke my heart, because I'm like you. I'm one of the biggest Gary, Harry, Gary Harris lovers in terms of his ability on the court that you will find. Like I abso- like I was the guy saying, I wonder if Denver's future is Gary Harris at point guard and playing bigger and having that point of attack defender. Like That's the level that I've always been in on Gary Harris, but he just can't stay healthy. Uh, two things, though. You brought up the Blake Griffin potential sign-in trade. Um, I wanted to crush your dreams because I'm just that much of an asshole, I guess. Um, I go I was told it. by the Denver Nuggets when they when, when they lost Jeremy Grant to the Detroit Pistons that a Blake Griffin side-in trade is not going to happen. They don't want Blake. They don't see any future for Blake in Denver, and they're not going to go that route. So I don't think that's going to happen. The second thing is that I think Gary Harris, at the value he is currently at, is more useful to Denver and their hope he can turn a corner and become the player he was a few years ago, as opposed to trading him as a neutral or a negative asset. So I don't anticipate a Gary Harris trade unless either his value goes way up, or Denver can offload him as a neutral asset without having to worry about it. And I don't see either of those happening necessarily, and I I think Denver will hope for the best that they can get Gary Harris back into shape, because if Gary Harris can become the Gary Harris he was a few years ago, Denver's odds at becoming one of those contending teams again goes way up. He changes everything saying if he can actually be a guy they can depend on to shoot and to defend on a nightly basis. So I think that they would rather bet on Gary Harris getting better and not trading him for pennies on the dollar as opposed to doing anything else.
2: That makes a lot of sense. And I was uh, a Blake Griffin sign and trade, which I I guess was like thrown out as a possibility because of the the size of the contracts never really made sense to me from Denver's perspective. So I understand why the front office like wouldn't be interested. Right. Blake is very duplicitous with a lot of what nikola Jokic offers and so yeah. it makes a lot of sense
0: and i don't think you're gonna play him as a backup five because first of all is his body yeah he can't play it. five yeah exactly and that's what denver needed at the time so they weren't gonna yeah. they, they already lost a roster spot and had to lose tory craig because of the circumstance
2: Ooh, oh, right. Yes, I forgot. Well, I didn't forget about Torrey Craig landing in Milwaukee. That was a good pickup for them. But I did kind of forget that Torrey Craig was an important and versatile defender for that Denver team.
0: Denver lost their three best defenders other than Gary Harris and Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, and Torrey Craig. It's not great. No, that's a tough look. It's not as tough of a look as giving almost $30 million a year to the Nuggets back up front court. But it's still a pretty tough look. <laughs> Is that enough slander? Have I gotten enough? No, you, you made your point. You made your point. Loud <laughs> okay. and clear. I hear sorry. you. <laughs> this is what happens when I've been sitting stare at the wall for the past nine months. I get very, very crazy. I'm sorry. Um,
2: <laughs> okay. So the last guy I wanted to ask you about was a guy I've actually seen in person and was really impressive to me flint beecher's own monte morris is he gonna get the extension he's looking for
0: uh they're working on it that's what i keep hearing um i don't know when it's gonna happen they have all year to do it um there's a reason they didn't trade him though like that's the thing denver is not looking to trade monte morris they believe in monte morris they want monte in denver and i believe flint's own is going to continue to stay as the nuggets backup point guard going forward and might even get some starting run especially now that facundo compazzo exists if gary harris can't play and they need Will Barton to play some three, then all of a sudden you can slide Monte into that starting lineup as a perfect off-guard to be able to hit some shots or create on the opposite side of the floor after you run a dribble handoff with Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray. So I fully expect them to eventually get it done. There's always hiccups that could happen in the NBA. So fully expecting it today. From What I heard today is going to be very different in two months from now. But still, every intention right now seems like to get a deal done.
2: Okay, that's great. Cause Morris is definitely a guy that I think will lock down a uh, a backup point guard role in the league for like fifteen years, make a great career, make a great assistant coach, head coach someday. Like I, I love that kid.
0: I uh, yeah. think he's running a team. That's the thing about Monte, he's so good with people. He could literally be in a front office. Like he reminds me more of a Sue Bird than like a coaching kind of group where like Sue Bird actually spent some time in the Nuggets front office a couple of years ago. I didn't know that. Yeah, so, when the, so after the WNBA season, Super was hurt, so she didn't go play overseas. So the Nuggets brought her on as an advisor because you can't hire somebody who's currently employed with the WNBA. So she came yeah. on to basically get the lay of the land and how things work in a front office. And that's actually where her and Monte Morris developed such a close friendship. They're like really close friends to this day. They actually coached the NBA Celebrity Game together, or I think it was actually the Rising Stars game. It was one of those r- random games during All-Star Week, where they actually coach together so they're, they're actually close friends so kind of kind of a cool connection
2: that is dope that is dope okay wait i i said that was the last question but i lied you brought him up twice and i don't know anything <laughs> about him who is facundo Campazo? you
0: don't know about facundo Campazo?
2: I do, man, a lot I of stuff has happened, man. Like
0: I watch Nikola Jokic in person at least 41 times a year. I love great passers, and Facundo Campazzo might be a more creative passer than Nikola Jokic. The dude is a magician. He's beyond LaMelo Ball's feel as a passer. He's not as big, he's only 5'11", so you can't he's not as impactful as a passer as a 7-footer who could do nearly the same thing at that at that size, but the creativity in his game is Incompletely completely insane. I have never seen anything like it. He will be a, sport, a, a sports center, top 10 kind of guy over and over again. So long as he gets the minutes to do so. Um, crazy emotional fiery competitive dude he played for real madrid he's argentinian played for in one of the best leagues in the world so you know he's able to translate and he's 29 years old i love facundo Composo. like i could watch facundo Composo highlights every single day to the day i die have a smile on my face like the dude is insane like i highly highly recommend going to youtube and watching some highlights of what he can do
2: is this going to be like a Teodosic situation, though, where he's not necessarily able to get to his spots and stuff?
0: He can shoot. And he's got more shake with the ball in his hands than Teodosic. Okay. Also, don't forget, he's got Nicole Leokic on the court with him. That'll help a little bit comparatively. And also, Milos was the dude with a cigarette in his mouth, not caring about anything. Until not <laughs> so, like, Facundo Campazzo is not that. Like, he's much more the Jamal Murray screaming, flexing. Like, I'll never forget. I cannot remember who they were playing, but... The fourth quarter of a game where they were up by four points, the opposing team had the ball, and Facundo Campazzo steals it, sprints down the court, hits a three, and then tries to steal the inbounds pass. Like, the dude is relentless and psychotic. And there's a level of, like, fire and intensity you just don't find in a guy like Milos Teodosic or a Carlos Navarro, in my opinion.
2: Oh man, I'm going to, okay, so I'm going to look this dude up after we finish this conversation.
0: <laughs> yes, you're going to love it. You are going to love it. And also, I have no idea why he picked Denver, because he does love Real Madrid a great role over there to Denver, where they have all these guards. But still, I can't wait to watch him play basketball. <laughs> so selfishly, this is fantastic.
2: All right, TJ, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that I should have asked you about that you're a little surprised I didn't?
0: Uh no, not really. I'm actually excited right. about the future of the Pistons though, because they're about to clear a lot of money quick, other than Jeremy Grant. So yeah, that's there's... gonna be the only big contract on the books in like two years. So there is still hope. It just seems really wonky for this season.
2: Blake and Jeremy Grant are the only two people on the team who make more than ten million dollars.
0: Exactly. And they're all and they're no. and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure in three years the only two players that are on the guaranteed roster are Mason Plumley and Jeremy Grant, other than their rookies.
2: And the rookies. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So like, that's actually a pretty good setup overall for when you're going to get the double draft and a lot of free agents coming into the market. So
2: it's, I mean, I understand why a lot of Pistons fans are frustrated too, because they've just gone through, you know, you know, a five-year contract handed out to Josh Smith that needed to be waived and stretched so we were dealing with Josh Smith for eight years it felt like you know they just got done with Reggie Jackson's five-year $80 million deal they just had to trade Andre Drummond for a bag of peanuts in order to get out from under him in order to be able to hire a guy like Troy Weaver who could run your team competently and then the first thing they see are these giant free agency <laughs> expenditures and they're like what is happening at so least I you're not tra-
0: Charlotte at least you're not Charlotte who <laughs> finally has money to spend and then they go out and stretch Nick Batum and give 120 million dollars to Gordon Hayward who plays 35 games a year so like Detroit fans I love you it's going it, to there's a lot worse there's a lot worse out there
2: See, I, I didn't even mind what Charlotte was doing because I live in North Carolina and I get Charlotte games. So it's like, hey, <laughs>
0: my Fridays
2: are going to be a lot better I now. I can 140
0: cares? to 120 point games now. If that's at least enjoyable. I'll give you that. Yeah, it's going to be fun.
2: It's uh, Del Curry just shouting about how LaMelo won't play defense. It'll be great.
0: <laughs> Some things are eternal. There's always Del Curry yelling about the guards on the Charlotte Hornets not defending. Some things are just eternal.
2: Uh TJ, where can people find you? Where can people find more of what you've got to offer?
0: Yeah, at TJ McBride MBA for all of my insanity and live time on Twitter, which is not always a good thing, but it definitely exists. And then the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, the same network that you're listening to right now. So make sure go check that out. That's where you're gonna find me.
2: Someone please hire TJ. Oh, TJ God. is way too great to be in the situation that he's in right now. Y'all, please hire TJ. Figure that. something That's out. Yeah. And, of course, you can follow me. I have a job. I was fortunate, but uh, I got a job. I don't have to worry about that. You can find me on Twitter at Last Chance. It's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can listen to my other podcast, the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, wherever you are listening to this one on. And, uh, yeah, this has been Pistons versus Everybody. We're back in the swing of things. It'll it'll be uh, weekly again. So we'll see you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving.
0: every single day. Head to bet online today and take full advantage of the great signup bonuses and don't forget to use promo code bluewire at betonline.ag That's blue wire, all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts.
1: thanks again for sticking around the blue wire podcast network for subscribing to the rocky mountain hoops podcast for also making sure that listeners of this show go subscribe to the to the pistons versus everybody podcast also part of the blue wire podcast network and really everything that allows this to continue going forward um, as many of you have probably seen on twitter i'm not going to be at mile high sports as of december 1st so this podcast is my home this is what i am doing this is my priority and this is where i get to continue to cover the league that i love so much so Thank you to everyone and everything that allows this podcast to continue growing the way that it has. It means everything to me. I absolutely love being able to continue to do this. Um, If you enjoy this show as much as I I enjoy recording it, please go leave a uh, comment or a five-star review wherever you listen to Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are listened to. Please go share this on social media. Leave a comment. All of those things really, really help me be able to at least know the direction of where to grow the show so keep sharing it with your friends keep leaving those five star reviews keep leaving comments in the reviews keep doing everything you can that you've already been doing to keep this show growing in the way that it has it's been a ton of fun the numbers just keep going up and up and up as we continually make it more and more consistent and it is going to stay consistent um one more heads up as well we're gonna have one more podcast this week coming up on friday which of course it is thursday morning right now happy thanksgiving to everybody but on Friday, you're going to have a new podcast dropping as well. So lots and lots of stuff coming um, There won't be anything over the weekend. But again, Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Friday morning, you're going to have podcasts to listen to. Thank you guys so much for sticking around. Thank you for all of the support. And we will talk to you guys next week.